0: forget. Online viewers, we welcome you as well. Thank you for your faithfulness to be with us, even if we're apart. So we thank you for being here and your encouragement with your comments and things like that. So, thank you for those. And thank you to God. A year ago, I received a phone call from Gerald Hall saying they voted yes. And that was a Uh, not a nerve-wracking, but all week. You're waiting for, you know... Gerald said, it was the longest week of my life. And I said, well, it was longer (laughs) for me than you. Um, Gerald said, I wanted to call you Wednesday just to see how you're doing. He's like, that wouldn't have felt good if they voted no and things like that. So it was exciting to get that call from Gerald um, a year ago. So it's excited to be here. Um, We've been through a lot so far together. We've seen growth, we've seen new people, we've seen visitors, we've seen it all, right? And we're so excited for what God's going to do in the future. And, you know, prophets in the Old Testament, they talked about the future, but we know Habakkuk is having this conversation with God, it's kind of different, but God's giving him this vision of the Babylonians coming and they're going to take care of the wickedness. And today you see the title, Five Woes. It's kind of one of those, oh, here we go. Not very exciting, but I hope it's encouraging because studying it, there's some encouraging things that we can get from it. So I'm going to pray for us as we come to God's word and I'm going to ask the question again, are you excited to hear God's word today? Are you excited? So pray with me before we get into it. God, thank you so much for today. You are holy. You are the rock. You are our security, our defense, our safety. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you're sitting above this earth and you are in control of it. Even though it may look like the world is falling apart, you're still there. So thank you for Habakkuk as we dive into more from this prophet of faith and just his heart to talk to you about his situation but also to give us encouragement today in our own lives. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us and direct us into truth and help us to gain a better understanding of you and how to live out our faith and to encourage others to live out their faith as well. Thank you for the people in this sanctuary, but also thank you for those online that are listening to your word today. Help us all to have open ears and truly listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So Habakkuk, remember his name means embracer or embrace. And this embracer has embraced this burden that God has given him, this vision to write down. And he embraces that. And he's a prophet of faith. He has so much faith that he knows to go to God first. He looks around him and he says, all I can go to is God, so I'm going to cry out to God. And he's a man with questions, right? He has a lot of questions for God. He's like, how can you do this? How can you look at this? What are you doing up there? Are you doing anything? Then he waits for his answer, right? And he gets an answer and he's kind of confused still. He's like, give me another one, right? But this is interesting too. His name means embracer or embrace. Habakkuk. He embraces this burden, but he also embraces the one who's in control. He says, I'm going to cling to God amidst the confusion and frustration and even complaining that I'm having around me, like what's going on in this world. So he embraces that God is his safety, his security, his rock, as he said in chapter 1. And remember, like one preacher, I always want to remember this, a look up is better than a look out. Don't look out. Don't do that first, okay? Look up and say, God, I know you're in control, so whatever happens today, I'm still going to have that focus. You're my number one focus. And that's what Habakkuk is doing first. Habakkuk looks up and we learn this, remember, cries out to God, my holy one. I read an article in the Christian Standard by or the Restoration Herald last month. Jeff Collins wrote this, nothing greater or more important can be said about God than his holiness. Remember, holy means no sin. There's no hint of sin. He's separate from sin. And there's no important thing than His holiness. I love that. And then He also says, My rock. Remember, what's a rock? It's a firm foundation. It doesn't move. If you built your house on a rock, it's firm. It's not going to be shaken. Habakkuk does, remember it, He doesn't quite understand, right? Like we do sometimes. We're like, God, I do not understand what's going on. I know you're in control, but I still don't understand how it's going to work out. Habakkuk is a little confused that he's going to raise up these wicked Babylonians to punish wickedness. Okay, you're going to use wickedness to punish wickedness. I'd be like the prophet Habakkuk. Give me another answer, right? Let me go to you again. I know you're holy in the rock, but I need another answer. So he commands Habakkuk, write this down. Make it plain so people can take it and share it with others like we're doing today. And then he gives that, member that glimmer of hope, the righteous person will live by faith or faithfulness. Oh, I hope we know that you know somebody that's righteous. Or I hope that you are a righteous person, living by faith. That's a glimmer of hope. And remember, if it's repeated, it's important. Paul quotes it twice, and the Hebrew writer quotes it. So it's got to be important if they're quoting it from this little prophet of faith in the Hebrew nation, okay? It's got to be important. And remember, those who are righteous I'm going to use some Hebrew and Greek words, so remember these words. You know them, I think. Righteous will live by emunah, which is faithfulness, trust of human conduct, certainty and faithfulness. Are we living with that type of faith? The certainty that God's in control. And then you've got to live by pistis. Remember the Greek word is a conviction based upon hearing of trust in the promises of God. Are we living by faith? Are we trusting God's promises? God's will is better than our own. And if we're convicted of something, are we changing? Are we living out what we're convicted by? I think Habakkuk lived this way. Bible college professor Lynn Gardner said this, We may not understand God's ways, but we can always trust Him. Do you believe that? Remember, Habakkuk's confused. Sometimes I'm confused about what's going on and how God's going to work, but we can always trust God, even though we don't understand His ways, because His ways are better than our ways. So when we turn to Habakkuk, the end of chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, he's Remember, this is just after that glimmer of hope saying the righteous person will live by faith or faithfulness. And then he gets into these woes, these kind of warnings saying this is what's going to happen to these wicked, sinful people. Okay, so let's take a look here at Habakkuk chapter two. If you're not there yet, starting in verse six. Okay, there's five woes. Here we go. Are you excited to learn some woes? Are you excited to learn some woes? Everybody say, whoa. Okay. Verse 6, Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion? How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? will they not wake up and make you tremble then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations the peoples who are left will plunder you for you have shed human blood you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them woe number 1 and i'll explain that i'll explain it a little bit so woe number 1 i put down loans are not the way to go now, I'm not against all loans, okay? There's good loans. You're going to pay them back. The key is you pay them back. These type of people, they're not paying them back. They're getting wealthy by just gaining things, and it's however they can get it. So don't say, if you have a loan, don't say, Keith's condemning me with a loan, because I have loans too, okay? <laughs> I have credit debt. Okay, I got to pay it off. But these Babylonians become rich by extortion. They make heavy with debt. Now this is, I looked it up. The Hebrew phrase, okay, this is interesting. The Hebrew makes himself wealthy by extortion. This is what it means. Make heavy with heavy debts. So they're making themselves weighed down by all this debt that they're probably never going to pay back because they're stealing it, they're overcharging people, they're just getting wealthy with everything, okay? The Babylonians, what does it say? Will eventually be plundered by the people that are left, the people that they didn't take care of. They get what's coming to them. They were greedy people and wanted those things that were not theirs to begin with. They steal, they overcharge, they become wealthy by extortion. And Habakkuk's like, how long is this going to go on? How long? Do we ask that sometimes? How long is this going to go on? The Lord sees what's going on in this broken, wicked, sinful world, just like Habakkuk's day, I think it's the same. God looks down, He sees it, and He knows what's happening, and He answers Habakkuk with what is coming upon those people that keep doing it. And we know that answer. They're going to be plundered by the peoples who are left. Something's coming to them. Do people do that today? They extort, by extortion, they just become wealthy and wealthy. Let's not live that way. So when I say loans are not the way to go, it's the type of loan you're just never going to pay back. You just keep getting what you want, 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 however you can, and just say, look at all the wealth I have. Don't live that way, okay? Okay? Woe number two, here we go, verses 9 through 11. And I understand that there's much more explanation and digging into you can go to. If you want to come to my office, we can talk more, okay? But a Sunday morning, I want to give you some hope with these woes, okay? So don't live like that. Number two woe verse 9 woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin you have plotted the ruin of many people shaming your own house and forfeiting your life the stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it woe number 2 and this is kind of a positive statement but a house should be used for others these people these they're setting up their houses on high they're like look at my house it's not for you it's for me you can't come to it they're setting it up and they're building it with unjust gain however they can get more and more bigger house bigger stuff but a house should be used for others these babylonians and wicked people were whether it was legal or not they were making it how they want however they could And the thought process behind this type of house building was that they truly thought they could escape what's coming to them. They're like, if my house is so high and so better than everybody else's, I'm going to be okay when the ruins come. But that's not going to happen to them. Their house and their lifestyle is probably eventually going to fall, which we'll see. If you read Daniel, remember Habakkuk is the same time as Daniel? What happened to the Babylonians? The Medes and Persians came along and took out them, right? They were focused on themselves. And I was at my desk, I was like, how do you use your house? How do you use your house? Do you open it up freely saying, hey, come on over? Or do you close yourself off and say, my house is for myself. I have it set up just the way I want it. I don't want anybody coming in and messing it up. Which type of house do you have? Do you have a house that's saying, I want you to come over? Or do you have a house saying, I'll come over your house now. Let's not do my house. Let's go over your house. These people were not using their house for others. So use your house for others. Remember, if you remember, in New Testament, it's a lot about hospitality, right? Are you a hospitable person with your house? So remember that. How do you use your house? Do you use it for others or just yourself? Woe number three, here we go. I know we're going kind of quick, so if you want some clarification, come talk to me because I'll gladly, I like talking about the Bible. Woe number three. Woe to him, verse 12, who builds a city with bloodshed and established a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe number three. I just have a question for this one. What will fill the earth? These towns that they're building are built and established by bloodshed and injustice. Oh, we don't see that today, do we? The town or city was established by injustice. And the Lord allows it to happen. Did you catch that? Has not the Lord Almighty determined that this is going to happen? But, He says, that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. The Lord knows this is happening but it's coming to nothing. There's no benefit from this type of work. If something's built on injustice and bloodshed, it's not going to work. You can try and try, but it's not going to work. Even though this injustice is going on, we know that the Lord is the one in control. And look at the end there. Verse 14 of this. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. What's it going to be filled with? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Is that a beautiful picture? True riches are not gained by injustice or bloodshed. Where do true riches come from? The Lord. These wicked people are not Striving and focusing, their, establishing their cities and, and communities on God. And look at what Apostle Paul says. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And he goes on, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, think about such things these people are thinking about how can we build up our city? How can we build up our town and establish our town how we want it to be set up? And they're saying, we're going to, with bloodshed and injustice, that's how we're going to set up our cities and towns. But there's that hope there. The earth will be filled with the knowledge. I love that. I want that to happen right now, but... We don't see it happening, but I hope that we can, when that day comes where oh, knowledge of the glory of the Lord's here, I hope everybody will see that and say, hey, we've been messing things up. Woe number four. I want to get to woe number five because that's the most, to me, that's the most important one in how he ends this woe section. Woe to him, verse 15, who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that they can, he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe number four, disgraceful acts. They are doing these things that are not pleasing to God. They're disgraceful. They influence their neighbors. Yes, they influence their neighbors, but not for the right reasons. They got people drunk. They gazed on their bodies. They they were filled with shame instead of glory, right? It's fun sometimes for people to sin. They think it's fun. Do they not? You see it on the news. You see it around you. They think they are having a good time. But what does it say here? You will be filled with shame instead of glory. If we were all honest with ourselves me included, we have probably been filled with shame at some point in our lives because of something we did. A disgraceful act. That's what these people are going to be filled with. They think they're going to be filled with this excitement, this glory, but all of a sudden it's all shame and guilt. No glory. That's this woe. Disgraceful acts, And according to, again... The Lord sees it going on and is going to act accordingly, right? Look it. He says it, right? The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. And disgrace will cover your glory. There's going to be consequences for your actions. That's what it is. I think is' talking about to these Babylonians, these wicked people. God sees it, but He's going to act according to what was done. Woe number five. Again, I can ask the question after all these: Do we see it today? Yes. We see it all. The Lord sees it all too. Woe number five. Starting in verse 18, Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, Come to life or to lifeless stone. Wake up! Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Woe number five, idols are speechless. The Lord doesn't like when people create images and idols and replace it with replace God with those. They created this thing, and now I'm just going to look at that and worship that and trust in that. The Lord wants people to trust in Him, not worthless, speechless, no breath or life thing. These things are, they can't even speak. There's no life in them. They're worthless. And remember one of the commandments given by God to Moses, to the Israelites, remember, you shall not make for yourself an image, whether the likeness in heaven or the likeness on earth, whatever the image may be, and you shall not bow down to that image there was major consequences for disobeying that command. you know what that was? D-E-A-T-H. And everybody knows what that spells, I hope. Death. Death was ordered for those who worshipped other gods besides the true God. Those who worshipped idols were not allowed to cross over to the Jordan, the land that was promised to them. They were... God said, well, you're worshiping other gods. I'm not going to let you go over there. And the psalmist writes this. This will get you thinking because it made me to think. The psalmist said, those who make idols will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. So the psalmist says, those who make idols will be like them. The Hebrew word for idols is elil, meaning of not, good for nothing, worthless, or dumb. Do you want to be good for nothing? Do you want to be worthless or dumb? As a kid, I called people dumb all the time. And people called me dumb. And we probably meant it as a kid, but now looking back, it's like, they weren't necessarily dumb. They were doing things foolishly, but they weren't dumb. They were following Jesus and things. But do we want to become like the idols we worship if we've created this idol of whether wood, stone, metal, or anything? If we put something in the place of God, do we want to become like those idols that we worship? And then, I I like to use all Scripture, right? Right? And I think, no, I believe this is why Paul and John say what they wrote. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Get away from it. And the Apostle John said, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Stay away from those things. Don't create them. Don't worship them. Don't even look at them or think about them. And then, you talk about idols and you go to the book of Acts. There's only one place where idols are good for somebody. And that was Demetrius the silversmith. And Remember, he was this creator of idols and he sold them, right? And then Paul comes in and says, hey, 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 hey. Worship Jesus, not idols. And Demetrius is like, That's my business. I'm making money with that. That's what I do. And he causes a riot in Ephesus. That's the only place I see good for idols. And it's not a good thing. (laughs) But Demetrius made money on selling idols. And then listen how Bradley Cobb puts it. I love how he puts it. In his commentary, he says, God is saying, what is there in an idol that causes someone to trust in that little statue that he himself had to create? The idol relies on the maker for its very existence. And then the maker starts to worship it? Question mark That's crazy. But here's what he went on. And God is making this clear. The same concept would exist if someone suggested that Jehovah should worship man. It's preposterous and blasphemous. God created us, right? What if God started worshiping us? That would be, just, it's, imagine that. It's hard to think about. But that's like God saying, I made these people, so I'm going to start worshiping these people because I created them. That's what we do with idols. We create it and then we worship it. I love how he put that. It would be preposterous if God started worshiping the people he created. And then, chapter 2 ends with something beautiful. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Jack Cottrell writes this about Habakkuk 2.20, before he, say, he says this, There's something paradoxical about our reverential fear toward our awesome Creator. On the one hand, it leads us necessarily to praise and magnify His name with our hearts and our voices. But there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. And an appropriate fear of God will at times press us into silence before Him. Meditation on the greatness and the glory of God has the effect of stilling our voices and of making all our attempts to vocalize His transcendent majesty seem so woefully inadequate. Then the most appropriate thing to do is to bow in silent adoration before Him. In the words of Habakkuk 2.20, he writes, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. There's no other response. And he ends these five woes. Habakkuk writing this down and he writes that. After these five woes, the Lord's in His holy temple. And all the earth, we will be silent. I love how Eugene Peterson writes this. He paraphrased Habakkuk 2.20 like this. But oh, God is in his holy temple. Quiet everyone. A holy silence. Listen. God, thank you for silence. God Habakkuk writes these woes, but you saw it, you're over it, you're in control. And he ends this section with, let all the earth be silent. God, you're in your holy temple. You're in control. You're watching over us even right now. But I thank you for silence. I thank you that we can come to a place where we can gather together and sometimes be silent together. Sometimes we get uncomfortable with silence. But God, I pray that when silence comes, we will stop and remember that You're sitting at Your holy temple. Thank You for this prophet of faith. Thank You for his questioning, his confusing questions. But he went to You. Help us to do the same. And I pray that those who have heard your message today, if they truly need you, that they would come and say, God, I need you. You're the only person that could save. Jesus came to die for me and the whole world. So I pray if somebody's here today saying, I need Jesus, that they would come. That they would say, there's no other way but you. And God, this church family is so encouraging. I pray that if someone needs a church family, they would come and join us to be encouraged, but also to encourage us. So God, thank You for Habakkuk. Thank You for even these warnings of how people were living in this day and what was coming. But I pray in a world that seems to be falling apart around us, but I pray that we would focus our eyes on Jesus who went to the cross for the sins of all people. A Savior was born in Bethlehem. This is going to cause great joy for all people. And one day, one day, this silence is going to be one that every tongue is going to confess Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's in His wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.